They're telling us that this summer is one of the most eagerly anticipated summers in a long, long time. Perhaps even in an entire lifetime. Apparently, and hopefully, COVID has finally said, Uncle! The darkness is turning to the dawning. I hear that masks can mostly be discarded. I hope. Apparently, we can distance ourselves from social distancing. The stampede spirit is in the air. And as one prominent Canadian politician once said, sunny days are here again. Touch wood. It's my privilege this summer to introduce a series of messages that we're going to be touching on on Sunday mornings. The theme, The Gifts of a God-Focused Summer. And I launch the series today by inviting you to consider with me the topic of rest. Rest. What do I mean by rest when I use that term? Well, one of the earliest uses of that word in the scripture is found in Genesis 2, verse 2, where we read that on the seventh day of creation, God rested from all his work. Thus, to rest, in this sense, means God stopped doing what he had been doing on the other six days of the week. From this perspective, then, summertime affords us an opportunity to rest. That is, to stop doing what we do throughout the usual weeks of the year and to change our routines for a time. For example, many of us are using this period of unusually hot weather to live outside as much as possible. Given our Canadian weather and COVID, that hasn't allowed for us to be outside very much in the past 15 months. I hasten to clarify, however, that to truly rest requires more than merely an outward change of behavior. Genuine rest necessitates an inner governing of our spirits, a peaceful frame of mind that springs from somewhere deep within us, deep within our spirit, and in fact can be quite unrelated to our immediate circumstances, as we will see in the passage of Scripture that I will read for you in just a few moments. It is this deeply seated, internal sense of rest that I primarily have in mind today. 
And accordingly, I want to direct you to a somewhat curious passage of Scripture to guide our thinking in this regard. The immediate background to the passage I'm about to read, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 19, is that the message of Jesus was spreading and the embryonic Christian church was growing significantly in the years immediately after Christ left this earth. The gospel was spreading not just among the Jews, but now among the Gentiles as well. Meaning that the time had now come for the representatives of the far-off Roman government to up the opposition to what had begun as a comparatively small and inconsequential group of Christ followers that few had expected to amount to very much. Follow along as I read to you from Acts chapter 12. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned Peter, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Other soldiers stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening to him. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left Peter. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many people were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. Praise the Lord, they said. He's answered our prayers. Or not. 
You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Just that far in Acts chapter 12 this morning. May I suggest to you that if you want to advance your experience of true rest this summer, there are two suggestions to be followed. The first is this, arising from this text. Learn from the example of Peter who was able to sleep despite anxiety-provoking circumstances. Can you do that? Learn from the example of Peter who was able to sleep despite anxiety-provoking circumstances. Peter has much to teach us if we want to learn about what it means to rest, to rest in the Lord. You know, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear reference made to the man Peter as he is presented to us in the New Testament Gospels. But Peter has always struck me as a somewhat impetuous individual. That word impetuous is an adjective that means acting or done quickly and without thought or care. That was Peter. I think that aptly describes Peter's inclinations as we find him in the New Testament Gospels. Oh, no, no, Jesus. Even if every one of these other 11 goofballs forsakes you, I never will. Peter made haste to affirm. It was Peter who, seeing Jesus walking toward the disciples on the water, was the first to jump out of the boat to replicate the master. Can't you just see him? Watch this, boys! Impetuous. And of course, it was Peter who that night in the garden when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus grabbed one of their swords, swinging it at one of their heads and missing but getting his ear. Yeah, Peter was impetuous. A bit of a nervous Nelly, if you will. Which is why it should arrest our attention when in the scripture before us, we find Peter sound asleep amidst some very disturbing realities. As I mentioned a few moments ago, 
the gospel was spreading. The church was growing. And King Herod was becoming increasingly cranky to the point of upping the ante in terms of persecuting the leaders of this Christ cult. Peter's fellow disciple and church leader James had just been executed by sword, which not only increased Herod's popularity among the Jews, but had to have Peter somewhat anxious about what lay in store for him. Now add to this the fact that Herod was escalating the leaders of the church by noting that Peter was so heavily guarded that chances of him escaping were minimal. Did you see it in the scripture that I read to you? Peter was guarded by four squads of four soldiers. That's 16 soldiers for one guy, for one prisoner. How's that for Rome making a public statement as to who was on their most wanted list? A preacher, someone who had society talking by virtue of a few public sermons and performing a miracle or two. And Rome was intimidated by this guy to the point where they provided 16 soldiers to keep track of him. As I was watching the sentencing of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin last week, it struck me that I don't think there were 16 guards assigned to keep track of him. King Herod was really overdoing it to make a point. To me, as I read this story, it is more than a little humorous that in response to Rome's putting him under very heavy guard, on the night before his trial was to begin, we find impetuous Peter sawing logs while chained between a couple of Rome's finest. That makes me smile. How do you do that, Peter? How do you find rest in the midst of anxiety-provoking circumstances? We're being told that COVID-19 has exacted a major toll on Canadians' mental health. One of the symptoms of which is sleep disruption. Now, I always aim to never be trite or simplistic when it comes to discussing mental health issues. Our daughter does PTSD therapy for the RCMP and the Canadian Forces, and so I know a little bit about the complexity of mental health issues. But as I look at Peter, in these anxiety-producing circumstances, and find him sound asleep, so that the angel essentially has to shake him awake, 
I can't help but ask, Peter, how do you do that? Well, one of Peter's colleagues, John, wrote in 1 John 4, verse 4, these words that we know well. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It seems to me that Peter had somehow come to truly believe that and had permitted that truth to permeate his spirit. Which is why today I assert that an essential part of experiencing the kind of rest that we all long for, especially after the siege of COVID, is learning from the example of Peter to be able to internalize the truth of scriptures that we know well, including that if God is for us, nothing. How much? How many? Nothing can be against us. Second suggestion, if you want to advance your experience of true rest during these summer months. Learn from the faithfulness of God who consistently comes through for us even when we are faithless. See in this story the faithfulness of God who consistently comes through for us even when we are faithless. As you know, the balance of the story in Acts chapter 12 involves a miraculous deliverance of Peter from prison by means of an angelic visitor. An event so spectacular that even Peter could hardly believe it. He thought he was having a dream, some kind of a vision, until he found himself on the street outside the prison all alone and realized that he had been miraculously delivered. Now, I'm going to say something that is going to have some of you saying to yourself, yeah, whatever, pastor. That's what you get paid to say. But I've got my own thoughts about your assertion. Okay? Ready? Here it is. God still uses angels to accomplish his objectives. Even in the 21st century. Huh? Some of you are thinking it. Oh, pastor, you're just saying that because they pay, they pay you the big bucks to say that. Why do I say that? Because I get paid to say it and perpetuate some out-of-touch notion about a literalistic interpretation of Scripture? Because I read a moving story in a Christian magazine or in a Christian book 
Because I went to some weekend conference featuring a celebrity speaker and heard people witness one after another after another regarding angelic interventions in their lives? No, here's why I say that. God still uses angels to accomplish his objectives. And most of you daybreak people will know this because you've heard it before. I make the claim that God still uses angels to accomplish his objectives because of a personal experience I had while pastoring the North American Baptist Church in Airdrie. And this goes back to about 2007, 2008. Our elders decided to bring in a couple of believers with a respected reputation of being gifted in matters of spiritual warfare, discerning the spirits and such. If you know anything about that, you know that it's challenging, difficult work. And towards the end of our lengthy meeting that evening, one of these people advised us that he believed God had placed an angel over Daybreak Church. We listened. What are we going to say? We accepted it. And I'm not sure that we even had time to really talk about it before this happened. It would have been maybe 10 days, maximum two weeks after that meeting. And it was on a Friday morning, and I was sitting in my office, looking out the window with my back to the office door and likely preparing a sermon or whatever on a Friday morning. I was at the church by myself. I knew that there was no one else there. When suddenly, I had this overwhelming feeling that I was not alone in that room. Now, I hasten to tell you that it was not an alarming sensation that I felt. It was very peaceful, but in response to it, I simply turned in my chair and looked at my office door where there was an elderly, very slight man standing. Now, as you can appreciate, a number of questions went through my mind. But I felt led to ask him to sit down, which he did, and in a very gentle spirit, began to ask me a number of questions that let me know that I think this is the angel. We talked for maybe 15 minutes, and then he asked if he could pray with me, which he did. And while he's praying, I'm thinking to myself, I am 99% sure I locked those doors when I came in this morning. <laughs> See, I, I'm a ye of little faith as much as some of the rest of you, right? 
So I escorted him to the doors as he left. And my friends, both the inner doors and the outer doors were locked so that I had to open them to let him leave. And he got into this beat-up old half-ton truck, went out onto Yankee Valley Boulevard, turned west, and I never saw or heard from him again. Now, you might appreciate that I walked back into my office and sat down and thought, what was that that just happened? See, I'm a rationalist. This kind of stuff does not often happen in my life. (laughs) While I'm sitting there trying to figure out what was going on, I heard the outer door open and someone come in. And as I suspected, it was Gary Hellard, another reputable North American Baptist pastor who was on our staff at the time, And he came to the doorway, and he looked at me, and he said, What's your problem? You look like you've just seen a ghost. I said, Shut up and sit down. I've got a story for you. Folks, to this day, I can't say what I was supposed to learn in totality from that experience. I just know that it changed me in some significant ways, as you might appreciate. And that is why I say to us as North American Baptists, whom I've learned that some of you are also rationalists like me, God still uses angels to accomplish his objectives. So when you read stories such as what we're reading in Acts chapter 12, don't just say, yeah, yeah, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Don't be so sure. If God wants to change your life, if God wants to get your attention, look out. Angels are nearby. Now, if you remain skeptical about what I just told you, If you remain unconvinced about some aspects of my experience that I just related to you, I respectfully suggest that some of us would do well to see ourselves in the response of the Baptist folks at the prayer meeting in this account in Acts chapter 12. Again, I I detect a humorous component to this part of the story. Peter's appearance at the door where a fervent prayer meeting was taking place for his deliverance is met by these giants of the faith with, firstly, an outright denial to Rachel or to Rhoda, the servant girl. You're out of your mind. (laughs) How do you think she felt? Just telling you what I, what I saw and heard. When she insists, they then go for an alternative explanation. There's no way, Rhoda. You're seeing things. It must be his ghost. It must be an apparition. It must be an angel. 
their first inclination was not, hey, I think God just answered our prayers. I've been there too many times. So have you. Be careful. Be careful. Oh boy. Our faith, friends, is too often not as strong as we'd like others to believe it is. Yet we wonder why that deep inner peace and rest that we so earnestly desire from God can prove to be so elusive. All the while, God is saying, just just let me handle these circumstances for you. God in his goodness, God in his faithfulness, despite the lack of faith as demonstrated here by some of the early believers, permitted the early church to continue to grow and be effective despite the faithlessness of some of its members. During these hot days, I've spent a lot of time out on our back deck. And our neighbors on the one side have a little girl who I would guess is about six or seven years old. And yesterday they went out and got her a swimming pool. Probably about eight feet in length and four feet wide. And they said it was the last one on the shelf. (laughs) So the last couple of days, she has spent most of them in the swimming pool. And this afternoon, she was in the pool, and then all of a sudden I noticed that everything had gotten very quiet. And I looked over, and she was just laying on her back, floating and looking at the sky. completely at rest. And I couldn't help but think, why can't I be more like that? Why am I such a nervous Nelly at times? I believe that the kind of inner peace that God provided for Peter, impetuous Peter, when he was imprisoned, Enabling him to sleep, of all things, is available to you and to me in the summer of 2021. Will you believe God with me? Will you say no to always trying to find some other explanation for God being at work? And simply trust him. Let let me read the words of Psalm 62 to you as our benediction today. The psalmist writes, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. 
Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Amen.